Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Jersey Mike's of Chapel Hill. Cal, North Carolina preview show. Of course, you know what that means. Greg Barnes is always in the house, but we've got Jason Staples back in his regular role as the prognosticator. Jason, how you doing? Oh, I'm 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 here, so I'm I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, it sounds like it. Let's get straight into it. North Carolina, <laughs> California, uh, first game of the season. So I think I'm not the only one that thinks I don't know what to think going into this for North Carolina. Jason, game one, it's kind of tough to really predict what's going to happen, not knowing what will happen. Uh, But your thoughts heading into this first game for a North Carolina team that really needs to get off to a good start? Well, I mean, last year, the two teams wound up really, really closely matched. I actually thought Carolina was the better team in that game. Uh, I think most most objective observers probably would have expected Carolina to have come out with a win in that game. But uh, as you recall, uh, there was a bit of stupidity right before the half that changed, resulted in a large swing, and uh, that swing uh, was bigger than the final point margin. So this is not a this is not a game where Carolina goes in where they have a, a significant talent disadvantage. Uh, it's also not one where they go in with a massive talent edge either. So regardless of 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 uh, what else we can expect? I think this game is going to be competitive. It's going to be probably pretty close. And uh, and, and the team that's going to have that one guy make a play at some point, whether on special teams, uh, whether a key turnover, whatever, is probably going to be the team that wins this game. Greg, do you think Carolina's in the right place for this game mentally? You've been around them a little bit. You know, media availability has been sort of low this year. But, you know, from all the interviews, all the, the talk, the preseason talk, is Carolina in the right place heading to California? They left on Thursday, going out there and playing a game that I've said many a times is is hugely important for Fedora, the program, and the season. Yeah, I think the team is in as good of a mental state as they, they can be. Uh, I think the coaching staff has done a good job dating back to spring ball and kind of getting them past what happened last year, using it as motivation but not focusing too much on it. And in talking with the players you know, during training camp, uh, Larry Fedora really kind of scaled back how much they practiced. Uh, you know, we, we were accustomed to having, I think, what? Let me, let me do the math here. You're close to you know, two and a half hour practices during training camp. That's what it's been in, in recent years. And they cut that back some, you know, 15, 20 minutes per day pretty much, trying to be more efficient to keep the guys fresher. Uh, and I, I think kind of how things have played out is that because they've been able to avoid massive injuries, which was an issue obviously last year, uh, the guys are fresher. Uh, they've got more depth because so many young guys had to play last year. And I think instead of it being such a hard grind like training camp typically is, um, I think the guys are a little bit more upbeat. And I think they're excited to prove everybody wrong. I do find it very curious that uh, so many people in the media, and I get the, uh, the anchor effect and all those kind of things. But just recently we've seen this rash of, ah, Carolina was three and nine last year. They'll probably be three and nine again this year without really understanding why North Carolina was three and nine last year. 
And so I think they're they're using that as motivation. And uh, so, yeah, coming into this game, even though it is a 50-50 game, even though I, I kind of give the edge to Cal, um, I think they are where they need to be. And I think with Nathan Elliott kind of emerging as that that leader, the team's really rallied around him. I think guys like Aaron Crawford uh, and William Sweet have kind of stepped up as leaders. Cole Holcomb's a good leader back there. So there's guys that have filled those roles, and they're all you know, pretty upbeat right now. Jason, let me ask you a question that something Greg mentioned, and we talked a lot about it both on the air and off the air last season about the injuries that plagued them and maybe the way the coaching staff was going about it. You've heard some of the changes that they've made. They've shortened practices. Um, we've heard some of the players talk about more uh, focus on their bodies and, and rehab and recovery and all that. Do you think that that stuff, those changes are warranted? Do you think last year just you know is an anomaly or, or do you think that the changes made um, or a significant step forward as far as protecting these guys more. I don't know if it's a, if it, that's a thing or not, but uh, your thoughts on how the staff has sort of switched it up a little bit this year. Well, you know, I think a couple things. One is that it probably was warranted in terms of reexamining how much they were, they were asking those guys to do uh, and how much they, how much they were, they would wind up, the, the requirements that they were putting on their bodies. I mean, I heard from a couple guys on the team or, you know, around the team last year that they felt at times that they, that their legs were dead at different points in the year. And, uh, and, and both research and experience show that, you know, when your legs are dead, that's when you, that's when you get hurt. You know, I, I think, I think that, that means that, that some of the changes were probably warranted. Uh, and the other thing though, that I think, makes this matter uh, is psychologically sometimes just changing something up actually has an effect. You know, when, when players buy into what you're doing and uh, and when they believe that, you know, the changes that we made are going to keep me uh, healthier, keep me safer. Uh, so at that point, you know, I think, uh, I think you end up, uh, I think you can, you can safely say that that's probably uh, probably a change that was, was for the better. Greg, your thoughts there. I mean, Injuries happen. Injuries are part of it. They've got some injury issues this year. I think uh, maybe the red shirt rule saves a lot of teams, not just North Carolina, um, and helps them on that injury front perhaps um, to get over those. Maybe some that North Carolina couldn't get past last year. Maybe they could survive better this year. But your thoughts in general on that? Yeah, I think – let me say this. I think if you go back to 2015 – when North Carolina had that great run, one of the reasons they had such a successful year is because they were injury free. They only Super had a couple healthy. guys that, lucky. Yeah, they only, only had a couple guys that missed time. Um, and so I talked with Larry about this this off season. Like everything that could go wrong injury wise did last year. I mean, they had twenty two players out against Miami, including nine starters. That's not good. That's not good. And but when you factor in what happened in 15, how do you balance that? Do you say, well, it's a complete fluke. We've been fine in the years before doing pretty much the same thing. Or do you tweak things? How, how do you approach that? And Larry said, you know, you have to be careful not to go overboard because you have had success doing it that way in the past. 
but you can't just dismiss it. And so there's been a number of things over the years. I mean, like after 2014, when Larry almost lost the locker room, uh, he, instead of just being stubborn and going about things the way that he does, he was willing to listen to the players and he made some changes and it really changed the locker room dynamic. So you got to give him credit for that. And I think this is kind of the same situation. He could have easily said, you know what? Forget it. It was just a fluke. But he didn't. And he's he's done some of these things. I mean, I don't understand. I'm sure Jason gets this. I don't understand a lot of the uh, the biomechanical aspects of it. But he's talking about how, you know, they measure hamstring strength, for example. And if they find that a kid has a stronger right hamstring than a left hamstring, they can now do exercises and strength exercises to make sure that's balanced out. Um, that's pretty sophisticated stuff. At least it you know, sounds like it to me. So they've implemented some things like that. They're giving the guys more rest. We talked about the practice time being cut short. So I think he deserves credit for, for trying to approach it and trying to make changes as necessary. Um, I still think just, you know, just things went wrong for him last year. And sometimes everything goes against you. And I think in terms of injuries, a lot of that, that did. Jason, let me ask you a question about that change. How difficult is it for a football coach to change? Serious question. I mean, <laughs> because most of, these that's a good... guys, most of these guys are like, hey, it's my way. And that's how it is. Win or lose, that's how it is. Your thought? It's a dang good question. And, and the answer is variable depending on what you're asking the coach to change. So there's some stuff that is philosophical. So if you're asking a smash mouth coach to suddenly change and adopt the air raid, that's going to be an awfully tough ask. If you're asking a 3-4, you know, a guy who grew up on the 3-4 defense and has believed in it his whole life to suddenly go to even front defense and, you know, just change the way that he's doing stuff, it, you're 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 going to go uphill. Now, when it comes to tweaking stuff, when it comes to changing, well, you know, let's uh let's adjust what we're doing in strength and conditioning to see if we can maybe reduce some injuries or Let's see if we can, you know, adjust our practice schedule a little bit so that we do special teams here instead of here, and maybe we'll condition this way, and uh, you know, we'll do our individual drills. We'll we'll vary that. We'll make these changes because this seems to work a little bit better. Or at least it has a chance to. That stuff. Coaches are, you know, they're always reaching for something that's gonna gonna be better than what they're doing. So in that sense, it's not that hard to get coaches to change on the ladder. But when you're asking a guy to go against his philosophy, then you, you, you're, you're battling uphill. If you're asking, uh, say, you know, Nick Saban to uh, become an offense-oriented team, that's a harder ask. <laughs> Good stuff there. I want to get into the nuts and bolts of the game on Saturday with the quarterback situation especially. I finally found – uh, Buck Sanders would say that I finally know my favorite player on the North Carolina football team. But first, I want to tell you guys about Jersey Mike's Subs of Chapel Hill. If you need a quick and easy, delicious lunch, or you need a tailgate option for some of these games mm. coming up, let me tell you, Jersey Mike's Subs of Chapel Hill is your place to go for a quick sandwich or easy and efficient tailgating options. Charlie, Clint, and Griffin, our guys at Jersey Mike's of Chapel Hill, UNC fans, local residents, they love the Tar Heels. They've partnered with us, with Inside Carolina, to offer a great deal for our podcast listeners. And Jason, I know you like deals, so listen up. Mm. Right now, you go to jerseymikes.com, order, 
front slash order, enter the code HEELS15, you get 15% off your order. You're coming to Chapel Hill for the game on September 15th or later, Central Florida game. Great time to get Jersey Mike's. JerseyMikes.com, front slash order, HEELS15. They'll have it ready for you. Skip the line. What I like to do when I go in there is just pick something different, but certainly they've got the original Italian big kahuna cheesesteak, also great things about that buffalo chicken cheesesteak. Skip the line, head straight to the register, grab your food, and you're on your way. Hopefully on your way to North Carolina, Central Florida on September 15th. JerseyMikes.com front slash order, heels 15, do it today. Super easy. Three locations in Chapel Hill, Elliott Road, MLK off I-40, and at Falcon Bridge Shopping Center, and one in Hillsborough. No denying Jersey Mike subs, delicious. So take advantage of this and support the IC podcast. Jason Nathan Elliott as the starting quarterback for California. Cade Fortin, a true freshman, listed as the backup. Your overall thoughts on the position and the strength or weakness of it for North Carolina going into that first game. Well, it's not ideal. It's not what you'd like to see. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it's a it's a pretty good uh, pretty good option when you've got a guy that's coming in as a returning starter who the team loves, and uh, and that's a big part of it is is being able to lead that offense and 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 manage that offense. And and I think with with Nathan, you're getting that. Um, but you know, he's not a guy that's going to go out and win games for you with his arm. Uh, and and you know, the freshman quarterbacks are not ready. I mean, I've I've seen those guys, and they're just, they're just not ready. So if whether it's whether it's uh, Fortin or Reuter, those guys, you know, if they're playing, it, it's bad. Uh, they're just not ready. I mean, you don't want freshman quarterbacks to play. So, um, so yeah, that's that's my overall thoughts. Is you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna win games with Nathan Elliott, but what you're hoping is that he can keep you in games and let other guys win games, uh, you know, around him. And uh, and and I think that um, that's basically what you're asking him to do. Make sure that he makes the right decision. Uh, with what they're doing offensively this year. And I think we're safe now that uh, preparation for this game is over, talking a little bit about what, they're, what they are going to do that's going to be a little bit different. Um, you know, they're going much more toward the Baylor approach, spreading the field a lot more. Uh, and they're going to ask him to throw downfield, throw vertical, and he can do that. It's not an arm strength issue at that point. Uh, but they're going to ask him to do a lot of throwing screens to the perimeter, some screens different in nature than what we've seen uh, from Fedora. Uh, but much wider splits, much uh, much more of a uh, of much more of a true, you know, using the whole field spread, and then expecting to run the football more as teams try to match up. And if they don't match up well on the outside, then you just try to get the ball in the hands of your playmakers. And if Nathan Elliott can do that uh, and not overcomplicate things, and you can you can succeed with him. You can succeed doing that. You don't have to have a huge arm to have success uh, doing what they're asking him to do. You just have to figure out where your one-on-one edge is or where you've got numbers and, and go to that. And that's what they're doing a lot of this year. And I think he can be successful at that as long as those skill guys win those matchups. And I think they're going to win a lot of matchups on, on the edge this year. And I'm sure a lot of North Carolina fans probably watched some of the, the Central Florida game on Thursday night. And Mackenzie Milton, who uh, was a you know, top 10 finalist for the Heisman last year, put on a show against UConn. Uh, but Milton talked about when Josh Heupel came in, he's kind of gone to that Baylor approach as well. And one thing Milton has said 
leading up to the, the season opener is that really what it allows him to do is that when he's he's standing there in the shotgun making his pre-snap read, uh, it's really a matter of because you have those wide splits, the defense can't really disguise what they're doing. They have to show you know, whether they're going to put an extra guy in the box or not, and it should make his job a lot easier. Um, he was pretty dominant against the Huskies, at least early in that game. So uh, I, I think it worked out pretty well initially. But North Carolina fans, if you watch that game, you get a little bit of insight of how this thing is going to play out. Uh, Jason, I talked to Chris Kapilvic earlier this week, and we know a lot of things went wrong with the offense last year. Uh, but he said, you know, we're talking about the wide receivers, and you know, Anthony Ratliff-Williams had a good year last year, of course, kind of later in the season. But that's really about all they had due to some injuries and some youth. Uh, and what Cap said is that you know, this spring when the coaching staff sat down and was looking at kind of the cut-ups of film from last year, there were a lot of games where defenses basically dared UNC to try to throw the ball deep. He said there was a, you know, more yep. cover zero than, than maybe you would expect to see. Uh, and part of it was quarterback issues. Part of it was not having those bodies at wide receiver. Uh, and so I know you've got guys like Antoine Green and, and Diami Brown as freshmen who can take the top off of a, a defense. But when we talk about Nathan Elliott, is he the type of guy that is able to make the necessary throws to force teams to, to kind of you know, extend their defense back instead of you know, stacking the box so much like they did at times last year? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the biggest thing is that last year they had one guy that, that you were confident could win deep. Uh, and, and like you said, this year, there, there's more than just Anthony Ratliff-Williams that can threaten you on, on that deep ball. And again, throwing the deep ball, you're going to hear people talking about how, well, you know, Nathan Elliott doesn't have that strong of an arm and, you know, he's not going to be able to challenge teams downfield. The thing is, those downfield balls, those, those, uh, those vertical balls on, you know, taking the top off, those aren't really big arm strength balls. You're only throwing them, you know, 45 yards generally at most and usually less than that. Uh, it's about the, the, it's about the wide receiver being able to beat the DB. Uh, Josh Heupel, who you brought up, I mean, he's an, an example of that. He didn't have, he had a weaker arm than Nathan Elliott did, and he was pretty dang successful throwing it all over the field and was able to challenge teams downfield as need be because his receivers were able to win. Uh, so the biggest thing to me is that they're deeper on the edge, especially now that they don't, now that they, they've got some guys back from injury and, you know, provided they don't have that same rash of injuries again, they've got some, some, some bodies that can really uh, threaten you downfield on those verticals. Uh, and with what they've done, simplifying the offense, I mean, they threw half the playbook out uh, and tried to simplify and saying, well, you know, this and this overlapped. Why are we doing both of them? Let's do the one we do better. And uh, one of the things that, you know, the coaching staff has said about why they did that is they said, listen, we've got, you know, our most talented wide receivers are the young guys. So we better be able to get them out on the field. We better be able to make it so that they can actually understand what they're doing. And, you know, if we're asking them to do all of the stuff that we were asking them to do before, then that's just not going to happen. So we had to simplify it and make it possible for the young guys to get out there and be the threats that they can be. And then all of a sudden they can be, uh, they're, they're, they've got a chance to, to use that size and speed on the edge in ways that they weren't always able to do the last couple of years. Uh, and I think again, that's where a guy like Antoine Green, a guy like Deami Brown, those guys are going to have, are, are going to contribute earlier and, and be more of a threat down the field. And that's going to help open some things up for Anthony Ratliff-Williams once those guys prove that, you know, you better keep a safety over top of them too. 
And Tommy, one point of clarity since Jason brought it up. Uh, I remember when Marquise Williams back, I guess in 14, when he first, you know, his first full year starting, uh, I had talked with uh, uh, Seth Luttrell. Uh, I talked with Blake before that, Keith Heckendorf, all these guys. And in this offensive scheme, a deep ball, right, is not this monster, you know, uh, Jamarcus Russell towering throw down the field. They do not want their quarterbacks trying to throw the ball more than 45 yards. They do not want that. They actually yeah, want those deep balls to be closer to 40 yards at max. Yep. Um, so this notion that Elliott has to have this monster arm where he's going to be unsuccessful within this offense, that's just not true. Yeah, and, yeah. and the thing is, if he is throwing it further than that, if, if the quarterback's throwing it further than that, as a rule, that means he threw it late. And and that means that it's going to be more of a of a jump ball situation, and you know it's you're taking more risk. You're wanting to throw this on time, and and hit it hit a guy where he's got a little bit more of a chance to 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 catch it with an advantage rather than than throwing it late and and making it more difficult on the receiver. That you mentioned the timing, and I I think I said something on a podcast last week or week before last, talking about he doesn't have to throw it, and he doesn't have to be perfectly accurate. He just needs to be on time. Would you rate as a as a quarterback guy? Where do you put timing in there? You got arm strength, you got accuracy, you got timing. Where does that where does that fall in there for you? For me, accuracy and timing are kind of two sides of the same coin, and both are more important than than arm strength. Uh, for me, it's not just timing. For me, it's anticipation that I want to see. Can the can the quarterback in in looking at a defense? anticipate where a guy is going to be open. Again, I, I like to compare it to your great point guards. Your best point guards are throwing the pass before the guy's open. And, you know, they're, they're, they're throwing him into a spot where they know he needs to be. And guys learn when they're playing with a, with a good distributor, I better make that cut because the ball's going to be there and it's going to be a turnover if I'm not. Your best quarterbacks are guys who do the same thing. They see the defense and it's, oh, they're in this. I've got a guy that's going to be coming into that space and just now and throwing it right before that guy hit, gets there so that it arrives at the same time he does. So that aspect of, of timing or, or anticipation, which is my, my preferred term there uh, is really important, but um, you can't, you can't benefit from that all that much unless you've also got accuracy. Accuracy is kind of the, it's the, it's the minimum bar. You have to have a guy that actually can throw more or less where he's aiming where he wants to throw. Otherwise you're in trouble at the quarterback position. Greg, uh, I want to ask you about Cade Fortin and him getting the nod as the backup quarterback. Uh, was that surprising to you? Uh, was it surprising that it was him and not Reuter? Uh, does it matter? Uh, I guess it does matter with Chasserat down for four games, but your thoughts there. I don't know that I'd say I was surprised. Um, we knew back in spring ball that Reuter had a better spring, but we also knew that one of the reasons he had a better spring uh, is that you know, Fortin uh, broke his leg in three spots last year. I think he played maybe one or two games his senior year. And not and one, not two, three. <laughs> That's right. So he didn't get clear to resume football activities until right before North Carolina started spring ball. And so you know, he's coming back not only 
fresh to the college game, he's trying to get his conditioning up. And so he struggled. Uh, he struggled in, in spring ball. And so it made sense that, that Reuter uh, was a little bit further along. But you know, Reuter, by all accounts, had a very good spring. And he had a pretty good training camp. But in listening to you know, what Fedora said and talking with some coaches uh, you know, at practices in recent weeks, what they saw with Cade Fortin is that he finally got healthy. Um, you know, he, he's a guy that really picked up on the offensive scheme in terms of the decision-making. And they feel like he has a lot of things in common with what Nathan Elliott can do. So it makes it kind of an easy transition if you're having to go from Elliott to Fortin, just in terms of their style of play. Uh, you know, Ruder, of course, is an incredible athlete, one of the fastest guys on the team. Uh, he's put on some weight. He's kind of a bigger guy. I think he has a lot of potential. But I think Fortin's just kind of an easy fit right now. And like Jason said, I don't think either of these guys are ready to go in and contribute. Um, so you need Nathan Elliott to be healthy. You need him to survive the first month of the year you know, so that Chas can come back and now you've got a, a two-deep there quarterback that you're comfortable with. I want to get into the game plan, and we're going to do that, but i got to tell you all something. A way to go travel, Chapel Hill. Have you ever wanted to go to a Carolina game, Jason? Yeah, actually, uh, there have been a number of them that I've wanted to go to, and I've gone to my share. So, yeah, surprisingly enough, uh, Carolina football actually can be quite enjoyable. <laughs> if you've always wanted to go to away Carolina football games or basketball games, now's your chance. Hills Travel has partnered with Inside Carolina to provide easy and simple travel for UNC away games. Chuck Joyce, president of Away to Go Travel in Greensboro, is a Greensboro native and a diehard Carolina fan, and he wanted to find a better, easier way for Carolina fans to go see him on the road, Cal Berkeley being an example. So right now, Hills Travel is selling packages to get you to the East Carolina game on September 8th, the Virginia game on the October 27th. Both are bus trips. They leave from Chapel Hill, get you back safely once the game is over. Buck Sanders talked about this in our podcast earlier this week. Take the bus to Charlottesville. It's the best way to go see North Carolina and Virginia up there play on October 27th. Make process easy. Ride with other Carolina fans. Don't worry about parking on that campus. And don't worry about having to drive. HillsTravel.com now or call 336-855-0060 to book. Right now, also, they're selling packages for UNC's trip to Las Vegas to play a little basketball over Thanksgiving weekend. No better way to spend the holiday watching the Tar Heels play two games in the desert and enjoy Las Vegas and everything Vegas has to offer. The package includes round-trip airfare from RDU, round-trip transportation from the airport to the hotel, and three nights at the Aria Resort and Casino. Visit HillsTravel.com now or visit, or excuse me, or call 336-855-0060 to book. Now let's get a little bit into this game plan for Cal and Jason, I'll start with you. Uh, we've talked about Elliot needing to be a game manager. I've said it um, before. I think North Carolina really needs to get the running game going to take a lot of pressure off of him. And, you know, worst case scenario off of Cade Fortin, if something happens to Elliot, your thoughts on Carolina and how they approach this attacking the Cal defense. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right that uh, they're going to come in and want to, and they're going to want to run the football. Uh, this is something that when I say they want to go the Baylor approach, a lot of people are going to think that means you know spread it out and throw it all over the yard. But you got to remember the thing that Baylor did as well as anybody, and most North Carolina fans don't have to think very hard about how this uh, how this could could go wrong for an opposing defense is what they really wanted to do is put the pressure on you out wide so that you had to commit to to defending them out wide so that they could pound the ball and run and run the football. Uh, and that's really what Carolina is trying to do here. They're trying to add a little bit more space to the, to the, to the passing game, add more space to the spreads. Uh, so uh, to the, to those splits so that they could run the football more efficiently between the tackles. Uh, and this is something that they've, they put, uh, more emphasis on this spring. Uh, that's something where, you know, in the spring, they emphasized wide receivers blocking. They emphasized uh, the offensive line being physical, what offensive line was actually available in the spring. Uh, because they wanted, they felt like they were not physical enough at the point of attack last year, even before the injuries. And this is something that they felt like they needed to do was to paradoxically spread it wider so that they could get more physical in terms of what they wanted to do up front. And actually, interestingly, as I look at that depth chart and I look at what they're doing up front, um, you know, I think, I think it's going to be interesting because they've got a chance. Uh, I, I, I actually like what they've got in that, in that first five, in that starting five on, on the offensive line, uh, especially as a run blocking unit. And particularly if Barnes wins that right guard, guard spot, which I think he probably will. You're, you're looking at, at some guys that, that have some size and a chance to be maulers inside. Uh, and they've got some backs that can, that can do some stuff. So that's certainly what I think they're going to try to do right away is they're going to force, force uh, Cal to choose to either match up out wide. You're going to see a lot more three by one. So trips to one side, one a single receiver to the other. I expect Anthony Ratliff Williams to be on the single receiver side most of the time. And what they're going to do is they're going to say, you're going to have to match up. You're going to have to decide whether you want deep help over Ratliff Williams in which case you're going to have to maybe get send another guy out of the box in order to, to deal with the, the trips. And if you're going to send that guy out of the box, then we're just going to run it. If you're not going to send that guy out of the box and we're going to have a numbers advantage to trips, we're just going to screen you to death. We're going to quick game you to death out there because we have the numbers advantage. And then if you're going to slide that safety over so that you don't have the deep help on Ratliff Williams, then we're going to try to beat you over the top with him. That's as simple as it gets. That's what they're going to try to do. It's not complicated. It's just straight geometry and straight arithmetic. Greg, Cal's defense. I know you like to check out the opponent's defense. Uh, I didn't think Cal was anything special last season. How have they evolved this year? Yeah, they certainly were not. Um, And one tidbit (laughs) for what Jason just said, last year's game, uh, North Carolina ran the ball on 18 of the first 22 plays. Not Wouldn't all of those were scripted, did the same. but a lot of them were. So uh, it's a lot of uh, deja vu when you're looking at the, these teams. But no, Cal certainly was, was not a very good defensive team last year, uh, but they did improve dramatically. And I think that's kind of a key point. Uh, when you look at what they've done you know, in previous years, Tim DeRuder did a pretty good job of instilling a little bit more of toughness. And I think you have this, this Cal defense and know that they're in the second year of the scheme. Uh, DeRuder's talked a lot this offseason about being able to to be more complex in that 3-4 he likes to run. He likes to mix it up you know, with the 4-3 as well. So you're going to see a lot of uh, you know, odd and 
uh, even fronts. You're going to see a lot of um, you know, four-man lines. You're going to see maybe some bears where they, they like to bring up an extra uh, linebacker uh, there at the line. So you're going to see a lot of different things. And I think when you look at Cal, they've got some pretty good guys in, in the secondary that they feel comfortable with. They think have potential to be, be really good. And so it would not surprise me at all to see Deruder really try to stress the interior of North Carolina's line. Uh, you know, Size-wise, I think Jason's right. You know, there's potential there. I think the issue, and this, is, this has been something I've harped on all, all offseason, is there a lot of inexperience on the interior of that line. We know William Sweet has a lot of potential. He played well in spurts uh, year before last. You know, he looked good for three games last year before he got hurt. Charlie Heck. Uh, really graded out well as the season went on. So you like what they have at tackle. J.J. McCargo does not have a lot of experience. Uh, you know, Nick Polino is serviceable there at left guard. I'm not sure that anybody would say that that he's great. And then at right guard, I mean, you're talking about a kid who's never played before. And it's going to be Ross and Barnes there with you know, Marcus McKeithen had been taking reps with the ones before he went down with a knee injury. So a lot of inexperience at that right guard spot. And that's one thing. You know, Cap told me as well as you know, when you have a young guy having to play there, you have to be careful not to overload him in terms of his thought process. And so maybe, you know, the whole thing of you, you have, you're only as good as your weakest link. If they've got to slow things down just a little bit for that right guard spot, maybe that helps Cal. Uh, so I do think it's going to be an interesting matchup. Uh, you know, Cal has a ways to go. Uh, Jason's exactly right. I mean, it's not like this some great talent for the Bears. They are a season in to this defense, a season in to what Justin Wilcox wants to do. Wilcox, and Wilcox is a dang good coach. Yep, and a defensive-minded coach. Um, so you have to think they're going to be coming into this game being prepared. And uh, I think it's it's going to be a challenge. And the other thing, this is, this is not uh, – offense defense related but north carolina fans uh, which makes sense and we do the same thing we always harp on the the injuries from last year and you know wow crazy amount of injuries true cal was fifth in the country and starts lost injury though so they didn't have near as many as north carolina but they had a lot and they lost a lot of key pieces last year uh, and still were, were competitive late in the season so uh, a lot of similarities and kind of the struggles that these teams had last year. Uh, but I, I think it's one of those games where you look at it as a seven point uh, spread for Cal. And when you start kind of diving down and looking at some of these numbers and looking at you know, what they have coming back, it kind of makes sense when you factor in you know, North Carolina suspensions and, and injuries as well. Greg, let me stick with you. Let's talk about the other, the flip side. I mean, Carolina's defense quite simply has to be better losing Aaron Crawford I think is a, a huge blow especially against a cow team that likes to run the ball inside at times your take there I mean I, everybody says it's one in the trenches I just don't think there's any other way to put it for this North Carolina team it has to be somehow one on that defensive line I think yeah and it's such an interesting dynamic because if you go back I mean less than 10 years ago you know, when Butch and company were here, they had some incredible defensive lines. And just to see what kind of has happened over the last eight, nine years has been phenomenal. Now, when you look at North Carolina's depth up front, 
you, you like it. You like the numbers count. You like the talent there. Um, the fact that Jalen Dalton missed a lot of training camp is not a good sign. The fact that Aaron Crawford, who's you've probably been the best North Carolina football player this entire offseason, the fact that he's out hurts. Uh, and so you, that kind of raises questions about how things are going to play out. But I think it's important to note that in North Carolina was able to get Malik Carney and Tamon Fox, both who are suspended four games, but they're both playing in this season opener. And that speaks That's to the importance huge. of this game. Right. And that, that helps tremendously. Uh, but and I'm a, I'll set this up for Jason. And, and talking with, with uh, John Papuchas this offseason, I talked to him a lot about run defense and how do you improve those things and how do you make sure you eliminate the catastrophic plays. Uh, and he, he kind of got into you know his his uh, belief system is the pattern match style that you know Belichick and Saban made famous and you know Cleveland and both of them have carried it on to their their current jobs. Uh, but he also talked about how you know, you've got to be unique in how you try to stop the run. So you have to be multiple. And one thing he really harped on is that your coverage on the back end matters, of course. But you have to be willing to adjust not only the coverage, but you got to be willing to adjust how you handle the front seven to give the opponent different looks uh, to kind of keep them on their toes and to take away what they're wanting to run uh, offensively. You can't just let them you know, ground and pound uh, while trying to protect yourself on the back end, even though you can't give up those catastrophic plays. So, Jason, I'm curious, how do you mix things up coverage-wise? to protect yourself in, in defending the run without allowing some of these broken plays that were so, you know, so painful for North Carolina last year. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the hard thing. I mean, I, I there's no magic bullet. If you're, if your personnel isn't, isn't up to snuff or isn't doing their job. Uh, I mean, I, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in using the fire zone uh, at times. If, if you're going to be a, a pattern match type team, so what that is is cover three behind uh, a five-man rush. So you, you you're trying to to create some havoc from uh, from bringing an extra guy and 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 getting into the backfield a little bit against the run. You can fire zone for you know a run blitz or whatever while keeping guys over the top. Uh, that that's one way to do it. Uh, another way is uh, is to try to uh, to play you know some some mixed mixed coverages and try to you know trap teams a little bit. Uh, but ultimately, I mean, football is pretty simple. If you can't put pressure on the uh, on the opposing uh, on the opposing quarterback, and you can't stop the run without having to uh, to expose yourself in terms of of uh, not having that extra safety over the top, then you're gonna have problems. Uh, so, I mean, it is football is 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 very much a personnel game, and if if the if the opposing team is is able. And last year, there were times where Carolina was loaded up against the run and teams still ran it on them. And if that's happening, then there's not much you can do to protect against getting beat downfield because you're going to have to start taking more chances. So, I mean, I guess the first step is to find ways to, and I think Papuchas is right, you have to get creative to find ways to to guess right against the opposing running game uh, and and get some tackles for a loss and and regain the leverage for the defense. Uh, if the defense has leverage in longer yardage situations, you're not going to give up those plays as, as often because now you can start to put pressure on the on, on the quarterback, and now you can 
uh, you can call coverages that are not disadvantageous uh, because of, you know, trying to stop the run. You can give up a five yard run on, you know, second and 12. That's okay. So it, it really is about winning first down and finding ways to to gain a gap here or to get penetration here to create that no gain or tackle for a loss on first down. And if you can't do that, then you're going to give up some big plays unless you've got a really, really good secondary in terms of personnel. Tommy, we can make this very simple. And I'll, I'll use this. If we go back to 2012, I sat down with Bubba Cunningham, and he came from uh, Tulsa with kind of the reputation as being able to be this great game promoter and get you know a lot of fans in, doing all these unique things. And so I was like, Bubba, what's the key? What are some things that you can do to, to you know, encourage the fans to come to the games and to mix things up and make it exciting? And he looks at me and says, it's pretty easy. You got to win. It's got to win. If you win, the fans will come. <laughs> right? So in talking with Papuchas this summer, we were going through some of these same things. And he said, but you know what? With the QB run game the way it is, with if, if we've got our guys going up against blockers and they're not winning against the guys trying to block them and those one-on-one matchups, if the offense is winning the majority of those, you really have no chance. That's so right. If you can win, if you can be better than your opponent on an individual level, you can do a lot of things. And if you watch <laughs> Clemson this year, right, Clemson's defensive line is going to win most all the time. And it's going to make their back seven look fantastic, whether or not they are or, or not. Yeah, there are going to be um, plays where Clemson's defensive line, not only are you going to have a guy win one-on-one up front, but you're going to have all four guys win up front at the same time. Right. And that's <laughs> going to be very ugly for the offense, and you're going to have linebackers and safeties dancing around because they're happy they don't do anything. Uh, and that, that's what it comes down to. There has to be guys up front. There has to be guys on the second level and the third level who can make plays consistently. That's what it's going to take for this defense to make that next step. We have not seen that consistently over the years. This is a veteran bunch. It's time for them to show up. And California is not some great offense. I mean, they're going to be good. It's going to be a good team. Uh, But, you know, if North Carolina wants to have a good year, they're going to have to prove it in those one-on-one settings. All right, let me drop one more commercial in here, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to ask you guys for a couple things. One, I'm going to ask for a player on offense and defense from both of you, and they can't be the same, um, and then we're going to do our <laughs> predictions. And we and y'all know we've been so great with our predictions over the course of uh, the last several years. But let's take a short break. I'll be right back. All right, Jason. Uh Greg talked about individuals winning individual battles, and I agree it's a man-on-man sport. Uh, so who on North Carolina, let's start defensive side of the ball, and Greg coming to you next, but defensive side of the ball, who on, who on that field uh, for North Carolina wins enough of their battles so that North Carolina wins this ball game on Saturday? I'm going to go with Jason Strobridge. Uh, you know, he's he's a guy that stood out a little bit in, in, in what I've seen, the little I've seen uh, over the past few months. Uh, and, you know, his name continues to to be uh, to be brought up in terms of camp. Uh, I think he's got some quickness at that uh, defensive tackle spot to to cause some problems. Uh, and, you know, I think I think 
him being able to get some penetration will be the uh, will be the interesting. Uh, if he can do that, that that that'll that'll make make all the uh, all the difference. So I'm going to go with Jason Strobridge. Greg, I think if North Carolina wins, Jonathan Smith has to have a a very good game. Kind of of the same mindset there with Jason. The heart of the defense, of course, there is is the middle, um, and North Carolina's had some good middle linebackers over the years. They struggled there last year to the point where Cole Holcomb is an outside linebacker had to be moved inside. And Jonathan Smith has talked about trying to make that next step. But I think for, for this defense to be good, we know the defensive line has to be good. But the linebackers have to be decent. Not to be great, but they have to be solid. And I think Jonathan Smith, um, if he can kind of live up to his potential, I think that'll be that'll be key because if you can take away uh, Patrick Laird and, and what Cal wants to do running the ball, that changes the dynamic of the game. And so I think Jonathan Smith is a guy that that has to be has to have a good game. And if he has a good game, UNC has a really good chance of winning. All right, let's flip to the other side of the ball. Um, and I'm tempted to say it can't be quarterback, um, but I don't think it will be. Jason, your thoughts on the offensive side? Uh, MOP for North Carolina to win this ball game. Ooh. Um, I'm going to go with Antonio Williams. Uh, if, I think, I think if Carolina is going to win this game, it's going to be because they were able to run the football on offense. They were able to get some, some matchup edges on, on the outside enough to be able to run the football and, and, and to take control up front. So I'm going to go with Antonio Williams as the, uh, as the MOP offensively. Greg, your thoughts? Can't be Williams, can't be Elliott. All right, I'll go the the next guy up the middle there is J.J. McCargo. Uh, as I mentioned before, the center of this offensive line uh, is going to have a lot of pressure on him in any game just because without a huddle, the center is responsible for communicating to, to guards and tackles on either side of him. And while Cal is not known for having some raucous uh, crowd, I think there will be crowd noise with it being the season opener. Um, this is really his first game being the guy. I know he, he started last year against ODU, but, I mean, this is like the first time where it's all on him. And he sounds like he's ready. But I think in order for this offense to, to really click, the offensive line has to play well. That starts with McCargo. Uh, that opens everything up for both the run game and the pass game. So I think he's, he's the key. Good stuff there. Uh, let's do our predictions. We've done this a lot. Jason, you've been really good at it. I've been really bad at it. And, Greg, I think you've been pretty much uh, probably on the plus side, but not by much. So I, I'm going to start with you, Greg. Uh, thoughts on how this one shakes out in Berkeley on Saturday. One o'clock kickoff out there. Um, should be a pretty good atmosphere. I know Buck Sanders will be there. Uh, with Mrs. Buck, but your thoughts on how this game shakes out? Well, I was going to take Jason's guess and add a couple points here or there and call it a day. <laughs> That's why I went. I remember. <laughs> uh, I'll go. I'll go. California, uh, thirty-four, twenty-eight. Cal thirty-four twenty-eight. Jason, I'm going to go with UNC winning this game, uh, thirty-eight thirty-four. Ooh, two close ball games. I I'm gonna make my pick, and I, I can't really remember what we did on the uh, schedule round when we did that on the podcast. But I'm gonna 
I got a 93 vibe. I think Carolina pulls this one out 38, 31. I think, uh, the offensive line plays better. And I think even without Crawford, the defensive line plays as good as they've may have played for North Carolina in a couple of years. So 38, 31 North Carolina guys, it's been fun. It's been long, uh, but we got through it. And I know our listeners like to hear Jason and Greg talk about, uh, Carolina football. So we've provided that guys appreciate it. We'll talk again soon. Always fun. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to the Inside Carolina podcast presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now.